0: You want Philly food? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. Welcome to Huddle Up with Matias Bueno. The podcast where prominent figures in sports, talk about how sport has impacted the journey of their lives.
1: Philly special! Ready?
0: Welcome everybody to Huddle Up with Matias Bueno, episode 22. Today's guest has been featured on TED Talks. He's an international public speaker, a former longtime BC Alliance, and a best-selling author, Angus Reid. Angus, I am super happy and fortunate and appreciate the time that you have today to come join the show.
1: Uh, it's an honor, Mateus. Thank you for reaching out to me. It was uh, quite a few years ago, I think, when we, when we, last, when we last chatted, and uh, I'm glad you were able to circle back. What a great world we live in with social media and the ability to reconnect with old friends.
0: Absolutely, and it, and yes, it was. So five years ago at, at Vancouver on Raiders spring camp there in May, and part of the inspiration for this episode today is is the inquisitiveness about life after football and what what really goes on in terms of how we reflect upon our career. And so we're going to get right into things with your book. So your book, thank you, Coach, for everyone out there. You should definitely go check it out. It's on Amazon. It's an Amazon bestseller. It's phenomenal. And you talk about the relationship with your O-line coach at the BC Lions, and how that lifelong impact can exist very, very strongly from from the connection that you have with a coach in football. So take us a bit through what the first few years were like when you were with the BC Lions.
1: Yeah, and and I think that's a it's such a great thing to shower praise to all the wonderful coaches out there at every at every level of sport that. Give their time, energy, and love to their players. I think the, the one of the most uh, most powerful things someone can do is become a coach. Uh, you you know you're utilizing an outlet, and in this case, it's football or sports or whatever it may be, to help someone maximize who they are. And I mean, there's nothing more noble and worthy than being someone that just wants to see someone else do great. And I've been very fortunate that I've had great coaches. And uh, you speak about my early days in the Lions, and it's funny, or my early days with, with with the pro pros football it's it's funny I really struggled early in my career I you know I was a number one draft pick which was wonderful the Toronto Argonauts took me fourth overall which was you know something that in the moment it was a really proud thing for me to be a, a number one pick and <laughs> I may be I might be the only number one pick in sports history possibly to get cut in training camp I didn't make the team and a lot of people don't know that about my life is you know you you come a fourth pick overall in the entire draft. And that's, you know, all this high praise and you're, there's going to be this star. I didn't make the team. I got cut by, by the Argos coming out of training camp. And I, I don't, again, I don't know if anyone else can say that ever in any sport, their number one pick that didn't make the team. And so I really went, you know, from here to here emotionally and psychologically and really questioning, am I good enough to, to play at this level? You know, it was, you know, and that was a big, big swing of events. And I was lucky that, the Montreal Alouettes picked me up and put me on their practice roster. And that first year I did a lot of growing up uh, emotionally and, and, and learning the sport of football at that highest level it was a big jump from college to pro. And I needed a lot of time. I wasn't ready to be at the level. So I'm, I'm, I'm forever thankful for the Montreal Alouettes organization for, you know, having me on their practice roster and giving me that time to kind of grow up and, and learn this game uh, without the pressures of having to play and perform. And, and, and then I got bumped to, or got moved back home to the BC Lions at the end in my first year and I sat on their practice roster to finish that year. So I don't think a lot of people know that that has seen the bulk of my career that it started, uh, you know, very shaky in terms of thinking I was ever going to be a player. I was on three three clubs in my first year and I never played it down. I was on three clubs. I never dressed for a game. I I, I never was on the roster and I mo- and I bounced through three organizations. So when you look at confidence, it, it was pretty low. My, my second year with the Lions, I, I just made the team. I ended up long snapping for them as kind of the uh, the 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 backup backup offensive lineman. I got to play a little bit here and there. There was an injury in one game and a little bit of cleanup time, but it was still, you know I didn't know if I was gonna make it. I really didn't. And you know that plays a lot with your your confidence levels and and that trickles into how you act every moment of of your life with with your emotions. you know, this is your career, this is your childhood dream, and you're in you're there but you're not there yet. You're, you're, you're there. And you're, you're trying to make sure you stick. And, you know, every moment you're thinking it's going to be over and I'm not going to make it. And it's a hard, hard way to live. And then my third year with the lions was when uh, Wally Buono came in and he brought his whole new coaching staff. And that's when I first met coach Dan Dorazio, who became my coach every moment of my life for the rest of my entire career. And, and, and that's who I wrote the book about. And he's the one that really, really changed my, my entire life. And, you know, he didn't, he's the first to admit he didn't do the work, but he's the one that guided me through the work. He's the one that showed me what what was needed to do, but more so than that, he was the one that gave me the confidence that I could, you know, he, he, he gave me the belief in myself that I was struggling to, to accept you know, from where I'd come from and the road I'd been through, I, I just didn't know if I was good enough. And every moment that he would challenge me with work that I would answer with effort and and, and, and improvement, he would remind me that, that I belong here, that I'm good enough. And I'm, I'm going to be that, that player. And that just fueled you to do more and more. And I, I think we do, we, we underestimate, uh, sorry, we overestimate uh, X's and O's and, and the ability to teach technique and, and, and schemes. And, you know, my big thing is we, you know you mentioned I spoke at the uh, at the Winnipeg coaching conference last year and I my big thing is I think there is is so much out there right now in terms of strategy, Xs and Os, plays, techniques and, and you know we, we go and learn from all these coaches how to teach this but I I think there's a, a not enough out there on teaching how to connect with players and how to how to get the most out of them from an emotional connection standpoint, how to really learn who you're with and how do you maximize their ability to become the best people they can be through becoming a better player and and that's why i wrote the book, book because looking back on my career uh, you know coach dan taught me taught me how to play football like he you know he he's the best there is in terms of technique and 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 how to how to mechanically get it done but you know that doesn't mean anything if he doesn't get you to believe in yourself and get you to understand that you can and 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 become get to a point really where I don't want to say I was doing it for him, but with him by my side, all I knew all I had to do was apply energy because he was going to make sure the you know, we were doing it right. And his constant reminders that that I'm, I'm doing things the right way and I and I'm, I'm, I'm should be here and I'm his guy. And, I, and we can speak on it as we go on the little things he did all the time, but it's all the other things uh, on top of understanding your fundamentals that that really make the difference in terms of uh, connecting beyond what, what a good term I hear a lot is connecting beyond a, a, a transactional coach where here's what you need to do. If you do it well enough, you stay on. If you don't, you don't. And a transformational coach where I'm going to change you as a per- I'm going to do everything I can to, to change you as a person to become the best you can possibly be as a player and as a human being. And, and the coaches that do that are the ones that uh, we, you know, if we've had, if we've been lucky enough to have them, you, they're not coaches, they're mentors, they're friends, they're people you hold dear for the rest of your life.
0: Wiser words really couldn't be spoken. And I'm honestly blown away because all those things that you're mentioning have been, you know, talked about in sports psychology. We studied it when I was in university. And and even with all the football teams that I've been a part of in the way in which you look at who really is transformational and who is transactional, it honestly makes a difference between winning and losing straight up because, uh, I remember when I was in high school, the old line coach. I only played one year in grade twelve, but let me tell you this: like all the coaching staff was amazing. They all really cared about the players on the team. And the old line coach, I remember one time, one of the one of our, I think our guards, he wasn't at practice for some reason, or he was he was playing center, and and the old co- line coach is like why is it, why is he not a practice? And then someone's like, Oh, he has, he has driver Z. He's like, well, he's like, you can skip that, man. I'll teach him how to drive. Like, don't worry. Like we, you know, we got football games to win. And there was just something that was so awesome about hearing him say that because it almost seems like he was, you know, in this role of like being like another father to, to the O-line, right? Like, cause it's the heart and soul of the team in terms of the way in which the offense goes. And you talk about coach Durazio and the, the impact that he's had, and you can talk to any person across the CFL that would say the same thing, that, he has had a profound impact on the players that he's had the, the, the fortune to, to coach and to mentor as, and not just players, as, but as men. And you look at the way in which the Lions organization was when he was there, when Wally brought in the new coaching staff, the Lions were this, right? And then when you don't have that solid foundation, you kind of see things get a bit shaky, right? And obviously confidence is huge. And and honestly, with the way in which guys are going in football, the, the difference in skill level between lots of players in the CFL isn't that much, but the biggest difference is confidence and self-belief, right? You look at a guy in a position with the right organization, they're going to do amazing. You'll get a guy in the wrong position, they're not going to do well. And I I want to expand more on this concept that you brought up in, in the beginning, the the initial confidence, because I know the Bombers uh, at uh, Faith, I, I can't remember how to say his last name, at Ketakadi, I... I, I Forgive me if I'm butchering it, but he was the first overall, not just first round, but first overall pick in the entire draft in 2018 and then got cut the year after. And then went to Montreal and I'm not sure if he's on a roster since, but like you look at a position like that, how it's, it's like that YouTube song. You're stuck in a moment. You count, you can't get out of like, how do you truly wrap your head around this, this falling down feeling? when you, when your confidence is slipping, you're trying to get it back. Like what were the things you tried to do to help yourself before there was someone there to help you? Uh, I was really lucky. And, and
1: you know, there are, there are some rare people in the world, very rare that can internally uh, catch themselves. And, And there are some people that are just, they're rare individuals that don't need external support. And they just, they respond and they just go back at it. But most of us mere mortals, we do need support because once the emotional uh, rock hits you and you start spiraling it's very difficult to gain clarity and just say no let's move forward you know you need you need some validation from somebody else to realize Hey, no, you can. Let's just refocus. And most of us do it. And, and I was, you know, and I I talk about Coach Dan all the time, but you know, I I have to make sure everybody out there realizes that I come from a really good family, and so I, I have to I have to put that out there that I have I you know I have two parents and I that have been with me my whole life. I'm from a, a tight knit family of four older brothers and a younger sister, so I, I don't have that added difficulty of kind of being alone or, or being in a place where I didn't have other people there for me. And I'll never forget. Uh, when I first got released from the Argos, I called home and I talked to my parents and, and my dad kind of said, well, you know, I kind of said, like, I, I got cut. I don't I don't know if I can do this. Like, I don't know if I'm good enough. And, and he goes, well, what do you say? That's what they said. What, what do you say? And don't don't worry about what, what you've been told. What do you say? And I remember I said, no, I, I, I can play. And he goes, OK. And all that matters is what can you do right now? What, what can you do right now that's going to help that? And, and, and it's interesting because, you know, you have to think about that. And all of a sudden it's not, well, spend two hours yelling and screaming or go out and go get drunk and do dumb things because you feel sorry for yourself. What can you do right now? And that's when I went and got a good workout in. I could do that. It was positive. And then we got on the phone and started calling teams and saying, trying to get on someone's roster. And it was, you know, it was about that redirection of energy in terms of going, you know, sitting there stewing and mulling and, and, and questioning, what can you do right now to move you forward and put your energy there? And, and sometimes you need someone else to just slap you there and say, I get it. Do you think you still can? Yeah. Okay. What, do you, what can you do right now then to keep doing that? And I started calling teams and it was positive positive. and, you know, energy has got to go somewhere. And sometimes you need someone just to just kind of redirect it because it's going to, everything gains momentum, right? One thing, this is a phrase that I, I say to myself all the time. One thing always leads to another. And so if, if you let negative thoughts spiral happen, Without intervention from yourself or externally, one thing always leads to another. And then you're doing crazy things and you're trying to justify it because, well, I'm, you know, look at the what I'm dealing with. And it took someone else and uh, to, to remind you, you say you still can. Okay, what can you do right now to help? And that's that intervention to shift the energy from spiraling this way to redirecting it. And then you build that momentum again, going the other way. And you realize I can do things. I'm not waiting for someone else to say you can do, you can or you can't. What are you going to do right now that can move you forward? Anything. And it was picking up the phone and calling teams and trying to get on someone's roster. You know, it was it was it was a it was positive work, and that was really powerful for me to keep keep shifting to. Okay, this happened, but what are you going to do about it? And don't let that become the momentum that just keeps compounding. And, and I I know I'm lucky. I had my parents that kind of said, "We believe in you. You to believe yourself. What can you do? Okay, get busy doing it. Let's stop wasting time." Uh, you know, feeling sorry for yourself because they know too the dangers of negative momentum. And so, you know, again, fortunate to have a family. I hope we all have friends, but, you know, ideally with young players, you, ne- you need a coach and you need a coach that actually cares about you. So even, even in, you're in a situation where someone's letting you go, they don't need to let you go as a person. There's a big difference, right? And, you know, good organizations should care about every single person they bring to camp. They should care about every single person that they bring into their club or their system to give an opportunity to. Now you might not make the team, but it doesn't mean they shouldn't be caring about you because they they they've extended an opportunity to potentially be a part of their family. And that that to me is a responsibility that they should care about you and most do. I'm not saying that and some people go further than others, but you know, I've I've had coaches that uh, have gone both ways, but you know, I, I I it took my family to redirect things. And then when I was with the, the Aloets, I I have no bad words to say about that organization. I knew my role there. They said, listen, yeah, you're not ready to play yet. Okay. But you know, we want you in the practice roster. You just work to get better. Okay. I can do that. I can do that. I can get up every day and work hard to get better. And then when I went to the lions, it was just sort of, I was there for the last three weeks of that first season. It was kind of like, he could just get through the year and then start the next year. And, and what's interesting about the second season with the lions, there's not a lot of people know this, but, uh, I walked, I, I, I quit football for two weeks during that or, two weeks during training camp because I had a uh, the opposite of coach Dan that second year. I had a really, I had a coach that was beyond transactional. He was uh, he was old school bully. It was, it was the ability to uh, utilize his, op- his, his platform to bully the young players to look cool in front of the older players and maybe, maybe deal with his own issues. I have no idea, but you know, I was, a, I was this young nobody and, And some of these attitudes say that that's, you know, they call it whipping boy or whatever you want for no reason other than uh, that's just how he was wired to find someone to pick on. So he could verbally uh, assault to levels far beyond uh, just being critical on analysis of your play, but just personally insulting. I said, I don't need this. This is crazy. Like if I'm not good enough I'm not good enough, I don't need to come and and feel worse about myself as a human being every day and be insulted personally. So I, I walked away And the Lions, to their credit, brought me back and they smoothed things out and he was removed from the organization shortly after. But, you know, my second year was kind of rocky. And then again, when Coach Dan came, uh, I had my family, my parents to support me as a person. But then Coach Dan really, really gave me the confidence finally as a player that, you know, his big thing to me was he knew, look, I'm barely six foot one barely and anyone and I'm not really and anyone that follows football at any level realizes that's really short being offensive lineman and I would argue I was probably the shortest in the league uh, every day of my whole career uh, give or take there was the odd player here and there but I you know I'm not what they wanted I have really really short arms really short hands I explain on the book I'm not I'm not the one they want in terms of measurables I'm, I'm, I'm way less than they want so I, I'll never forget coach Dan he he wasn't interested in complaining about what I didn't have he was interested in finding out how much I was willing to give. And he knew that, you know, once you realize what someone's capable of doing and, and they bring it every day to a consistent level, they can game plan the rest. You know, if you're good enough, looking for a better athlete or a better measurable isn't going to help you once you've found someone that can get it done. And they're going to do it every, every time to the best of their ability. And you can bank on that and you can trust that game plan the rest. I mean, I I don't know a coach in the world that wouldn't take a durable, dependable player that's that's good enough over the, the, best, the most talented player in the world that you don't know what they're going to do from day to day, whether they're going to show up mentally or physically or quit on you. And so I gave Dan what I could, which was everything. And I gave Dan the best of what I had, every opportunity I had, because he taught me that's what it's going to take, Angus. And if you do that, you can play in this league. I'll never forget him telling me that. If you do that, if you bring it, this level that he showed me every time you can play. And I remember going, well, that's effort. I can do that. He said, well, you, you can play. And so I
0: did. And,
1: and so I did.
0: <laughs> it's, it's so funny how it works out with the way in which coaches have an impact and the words that they say, because you really look at it. There's a great variety of guys that haven't played that much or don't have as much experience or football is not their first thing, but you coach them well and you'd be surprised the results you can get. Right. And there's guys that have been there forever and ever, but they're coached poorly and, and they don't progress and they don't reach their potential. Right. Like I remember when I was at university of Saskatchewan uh, Huskies training camp and uh, there was, um Oh, what's his name? The guy who used to, he used to play on Montreal he was a defensive back. Um, oh man. Um, Baron, Baron miles. Was it? No, no, no. He, uh,
1: Oh, he was playing, he's from U of S. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's from
0: U of, um, something, at Ed's, oh no, what's his name? Oh my goodness, I can't even remember. He had like the, the, the gray, uh, yeah. the gray on his eyelashes. what was his name? Oh my God, I can't even remember.
1: I can I can see his face and I just can't break, it doesn't come to mind right now.
0: But anyways, I remember him, like he was a, uh, he was like a tough guy. Like he was like, you know, like, listen. Paul Woodoo. Paul Woodoo. Yes, yes, Paul Wudu, yes, Paul, yes, Paul Paul Woldo? Woldo. Yes! Paul, Paul, yes! yes, there we go. I just, I just see him on Rod Peterson's show the other day. And I was like, yeah, I remember him, him saying to the guys that, you know, at Huskies train at uh, spring camp was, you know, Paul was saying, there's a difference between potential and production, right? Potential can mean a whole whack of things. Production is what really matters. Mm-hmm. And coaches have an influence on a player's production to a certain level. Mm-hmm. Not, not everything, but to a certain extent they do. So when you look at the teams that are the most successful, the ones that have a great coaching staff, but okay players are probably going to be in a better position than a team with a terrible coaching staff and amazing players, because yeah, certain players can use their talent to carry themselves over other teams, et cetera. But when you look at the four most important components of a football team in terms of winning O-line D-line quarterback, head coach, because head coach, that's, a a precedent. That's culture. Battle of the trenches. If you control the line of scrimmage, you're going to, you're already half the battle and a quarterback, you just need a leader on offense. That's going to be able to corral everybody. So those are super important components to a football team success. And it, but it all starts with coaching. All the players are brought in and it all matters because the coaches are the ones that set the standard. And if you look at the ways in which certain CFL teams do well and others don't usually it comes down to coaching and, you know, I had uh, Von Mitchell on for the Manitoba Bisons on a previous episode. And he said, you know, as a c- coach you know, they can only do so much to win games, but they can lose them based on their decisions. So you're in a really tough position as a coach, which is why it's so important because if they win, people will be like, oh yeah, you know, the players, they did really well today. Right. And if you lose, it's like coach, it's like, it's my fault. And obviously like, that's not always true, but a good coach will be a person that takes accountability. So what was the thing that you did to ensure that you were being accountable as you were transitioning from organization to organization, because then you were with the, the Alouettes and you were knew your role. And then you started to really pick things up with the lions after overcoming the obstacle with the coach is kind of a bully. So what did you do to ensure that you could be accountable to yourself day in, day out and keep playing at that level that coach Durazio had held you to? Uh,
1: well, it was, it was easy with coach. Dan. And I want to back up for a sec too, because you speak about the power of coaches, which is, which is great, but, there's there's one thing that we have to keep reminding ourselves is a, a coach can only be as impactful as a player allows them to be, you know. And I I look I played with a lot of co- a lot of players, a lot of great players, and some of them will sing Coach Dan's praises for the rest of their life, and some of them don't like him. They did they didn't respond to that, and they didn't want to, and they weren't interested, and and that's that's fine, uh, you know. But it's a two way street for a, a a coach and a relate and a coach and a player. Both have to be open to the relationship right? And it takes both coming in and and realizing a player has to walk in saying, I'm here to get better. And I'm here to to fully explore every opportunity I can to maximize what I am. And a lot of that's going to mean going to uncomfortable places for yourself, physically, emotionally, psychologically, you know, a coach can objectively, if they're good, uh, objectively look at what is capable, where you're at, and what's the gap. And then a coach's job is to objectively fill that gap we as players can't do that because we're subjective. We look at ourselves through our own lens, what we like to do, what we think we're good at, but we don't really know because it's poured with our own emotion, right? So it takes players being okay to unpack and, and, sorry, pack away their ego and submit to a ideally a great coach that's able to look at things as as truth. And And a great coach always leads by figuring out how can they learn enough about you? So, you know, they care about you for, as a human being. Cause then we get to those truths. It's not about uh, being negative or attacking it's about helping. And that's a huge difference. I'll, I'll tell a story about coach Dan that he did t- because, you know, if a coach doesn't show they care about you, what's the old saying? It doesn't matter how much, you know, until they know how much you care or they don't care. Nobody cares how much, you know, unless you know how much they care. So, you know, most coaches are good enough to critically find players gaps between where we need you to be and where you're at and what needs to be done but the point is, do you have the key to unlock the player's ears and hearts and minds to actually listen to that and want to hear it? And they're only going to want to hear it if they know that it's coming from a place that I, all I care about is seeing you be great. Otherwise, they're hearing you you just like picking on me and, and who do you think you are? You don't know what you're talking about. I'm the one out there playing and. Good luck. You could never do this stuff. So stop telling me what I'm not good at. And and so that starts long before you get to that conversation. What coach Dan did early on was uh, when he first met all those players, he took us all to lunch individually. And he, he, you know, he spent two hours just basically uh, conversationally interviewing us about us as people, childhood heroes. What's our family life like? What do we like to do outside of football? Like everything outside of football conversations. And he was compiling who we are, what makes us tick. You know, what, how we're wired. So he could understand how to talk to me and then how to talk to Bobby Singh and how to talk to Kelly Bates because each of us were truly unique individuals. And what he did different than a lot of coaches is he understood his job was to coach me and then to coach Kelly and then to coach Rob Murphy and not to say, this is what I do. You have to adapt to me because I'm the coach. This is the way we do things around here. He knew his job was to figure out who we all were and speak to us in the way that he's learned. That's going to matter to us. And then we're like, wow, this person gets me. And then you like them. And then you want to listen to them and they're talking to me. And then when you start getting to the point where we're trying to help and improve you, I'm already, I'm already like this guy. Like I, I, it's coming from a good place. And I don't think a lot of coaches take that front end work because it's hard. It takes a lot of effort to actually get to know your, the, the person, instead of just evaluating what they are as a player. And if you keep it as that surface level, we come back to the word transactional. It's always about what you need to do better. And then uh, now you're just critiquing me and it pisses me off. But when it's like, this is how we're going to, this is how uh, you're going to become the best ever. And I, I and I want, and that's what I want to see for you. It's like, this person cares about making me better. And, I, and if a player doesn't want to get better, then there's another problem. But it, it comes in the original statement of coaches, how valuable they are. But you need both. You need players that walk in saying... I'm here to see how good I can be. And I need a coach to do that because there's no player in the world that can be objective about themselves and can, can openly, constantly assess their own gaps from a lens that a coach can. You can't do it. You have our own emotions, our own egos, our own problems. And then you need to pair that with a coach. That sole objective is about improving their players, not about showing the world what a great coach they are. You know, it's that servant leadership from the one end, and it's that open. Uh, open mindset of an athlete and a player to, to want that. And when you get something like that, um, you, you might not get greatness, but you'll get the best that you can get out of both people. And, and I don't, I remember Dan always told me like he, he, he would, he would lay out like, look, Angus, you know, this is, this is the standards is where we're at and, and we're going to do everything to not get you, you know, and it wasn't about getting me to here. It was about making me the very best I possibly could. And at the end of the day, that is is winning. That's the only winning there is because it can say, maybe, maybe, maybe you won't be good enough. But if if we be, make you the very best you can possibly be, what more can what what more can you ever ask for in life? Like it, you know, a coach's job is to maximize what you can be. A player, an athlete's job should should attain the aspiration should become the best I can possibly be. And and you you do those things. That's winning. And and the best thing is what I wrote in the book is. When you learn what it takes to do that, that's transferable after football. When you understand what it takes to maximize who you are, it doesn't matter if it's football, if it's business, if it's marriage. It's the same process of realizing, um, you know, this is what can be done. This is where I'm at This is what needs to be done to get there. And we're going to, we're going to chip away every day at doing that. And we're going to reflect ideally with a coach or with someone else that can help gauge, am I doing what I think I'm doing? And, and so we can critique and adapt and you do that. And that's just, that's just getting better. And coach Dan taught me how to improve, how to improve. And, And we did it through football, but I've walked away going it's how you improve in life and any coach that, that doesn't teach you anything that transfers beyond the sport has wasted a a massive opportunity to educate you in life. I mean, it's really sad. If you look back on coaches and the only memories you have is they taught me how to reach block a three technique or, or, you know, they taught me how to, how to have a better swim move. And that guy was great at teaching that. I got more sacks out of that because that doesn't transfer. But if you walked away going, I know how to become a better person. I know how to get better at things. I know how to assess situations and understand what's needed, and I know how to work at getting that done so we can get it done, that you're ready for life. And, And football should get you ready for life. It shouldn't leave you with just good stories. It should prepare you for life. And coaches have to walk in with the mindset that we are raising young men through this sport. And I don't care if they're 10 years old, 15 years old, 25 years old, or 35 years old. It's an opportunity to show people how to keep improving as humans. So when they leave, they know how to become uh, uh, the best they can be at whatever they choose to do next.
0: hundred percent. And all those things that you said, really, really dive into the nitty gritty of what happens and what goes on within a person's mind about them dealing with, you know, maybe the reality, the, the stout reality that they're not as good as they thought they were, how to put away their ego, because like you said, you know, it's impossible for a person to objectively assess themselves without there being any sort of interference with their ego or anything. I remember impossible. it's, you can't, you can't do it. Like, and I remember uh, I was very fortunate to work with uh, the great Don Sweet in kicking because that's, you know, after I left Vancouver Island, I was at the university of Calgary and that's where he had been brought in for a few training camps. He's and, great. He's yeah. great. And Just he great is guy. an exact, He's he's the, the, one of the model people I think of when, in terms of kicking like transformation of coaches, right? Like for training, it's not just, you know, I'm going to sit here and press the stopwatch and try to boost your cloud on YouTube. It's like, okay, like, Hey, just, how's it going? And, you know, just, just talking to the person, forget about football for a while. Right? Like, let's just be people because then that really eases you into the conversation. And then by the time that you're getting to the point, uh, to the point about, okay, now this is how we talk about the X's and O's you're already so bought in that you're like, I'm willing to do it. Like, let's go. Right. And like you said, it is two way street. Not everyone will always be open to that. And obviously that's on players, right? They need to be accountable, but he would always talk about, you know, he would always talk about these different little lessons and things and kicking. And he told you tell stories about the kickers that he worked with in the Lions, right? Like Paul McCallum and he, you know, or when Swayze waters was brought into camp and he, cause he came in for many, many years and, and he said that, you know, for example, when he showed up and let's say a guy who's used to playing in the U S like tie long, like now he's in the chargers. Right. And he was like, okay. He's like, I'm just going to, you know, just go kick. Like, that's fine. I'm not going to tell you you're doing this wrong. This, this, that, and the other. And he would just, you know, you come to me and say, what do you think you need to work on? Or like, okay, now we'll work together. And he said that when he first started working with Paul McCallum, that Paul said, he's like, well, I have this kind of left hook that I don't really like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm always trying to aim a little bit more to the right. And I, I don't want it to to play a factor in games. Okay, well, let's let's figure out how to do that. So it would be taking those small little steps to really get to know a person and then start to build upon, he would call it building blocks, right? Like you're not just, okay, because crit- you're right. If you just sit there and oh, critique this, that, and the other, like you're like, who the hell are you, man? Especially when you're a pro, you have to be super selfish. That's one thing that I've heard from um, my high school, a former uh, alum or I guess an alumnus of, of my high school here in Winnipeg who played in the CFL, Donovan Alexander gave us a talk at a, an alumni retreat event uh, at our school and said, you know, one of the unfortunate things that I realized about being a professional football player is that you have to be selfish to a certain level. You have to have a chip on your shoulder. You're only, only you care about yourself because no one else is going to guarantee do that for you. So that's a thing that kind of is a difficult balancing act because when you get someone like a coach Durasio who gets to really like be selfless in, giving attention to you and you get to do the same thing. That mutual exchange is more powerful than anything in the sport and beyond the sport in life. But when you're in that transactional period, you know, you can't, you can't really change somebody. Right. But you also have to make sure that you're doing what you can about that situation. So then you're like, okay, well, how can I do whatever I can to get ahead and make sure that no one else can catch me, which sucks. But I mean, it's a reality of being a professional athlete. So how did you handle the balance between you know, seeing guys who are in positions that they did what they had to do just to get by versus people that were trying to, they yearned for that connection. Like you had with coach Dan, how, how have you handled, like maybe stories that people have told you about that or how to live in that situation? Because obviously, you know how you had the very great blessing of being with him, but in the, in the previous, you know, with the previous organizations, you didn't. So what is that situation like in your eyes?
1: it's tough and i i think you know when it comes right down to it you you can't you can't change people and so you have to look at you know you're right football is an interesting sport at the highest level because people talk about it being being football, being the ultimate team sport. And when you when you start throwing those types of phrases around, you're talking about selflessness, when you're talking true teamwork, right? Everybody is here to help everybody else out. And, and, but you're right, at the pro level, everyone's a mercenary because particularly in the CFL, you don't have long-term guaranteed contracts. So everybody's really working week to week. And when you work week to week, the, the pressure is to make sure you you get paid next week. And, and the pressure is on you to do what you got to do to survive. And so it's a really interesting uh, it's a really interesting situation when you're looking at a sport that relies on you to bring everything you can to help everyone around you. But underneath it, you're really making sure you take care of yourself. And I played a, you know, I saw guys that couldn't balance that and they didn't last. And then, again, yeah, we talk in the beginning, talent levels thin enough that talent's very easy to find talent. And then I, I, I speak to corporations all over the world. We all know this talent in any, realm is not hard to find. There's only a, f- a handful of people in the whole world that are just flat out more talented than anyone else to, every, to a level that you can let them get away with any type of attitude they want to get away. And I'm talking anywhere in the world. Like There's a couple people that are so much better than everyone that they can do whatever they want and get away with it. The rest of us, even at the highest level, are all enough the same that we can be replaced and life will go on and the machine will keep on churning. Right. And, and especially in the sports where you have salary caps. And so everyone's kind of uh, compressed by the same variables. So you're pretty much getting the same talent, give or take. And so, you know, you can't change people. So people have to come to the realization that to succeed, you have to balance that too. And and one of them is that sort of personal motivation, but the professionalism about being a team player. And I, and I saw guys, I said that, that couldn't balance it, but you know, I, I came to Realization very early on that the easiest way to be selfish was to be the best teammate possible because the better teammate I could be, you know, I but I played center, so I played a situation where I'm controlling a lot out there, I'm verbalizing everything to the troops around me. So there's a lot of heat on me and a lot of responsibility on me to make sure everyone else is in the right spot and is prepared. But you know, I my my selfish motivation to keep my job was to make sure that every player around me is better when I'm there. And so the better I could get at making sure they were playing better was the best job security I could buy to make sure I'm feeding my family tomorrow. And center's is a little unique. Not everyone has that direct ability, but I think when you get to a place where the team knows that people, fun- the team is functioning better when you're a part of it, you've given yourself that uh, that tiebreaker against other talent that's out there, other guys that run fast and jump high and hit hard. When they know we remove you, uh, we're not sure of the ripple effect of of, of, of issues that are going to happen. And so when you look at it and go, how do I keep my job? Make the team better. And if you're able to make the team better by whatever whatever that means, and by me was making sure I made everyone else's job around me easier. So every line around me, I just I just literally – dictated everything to everyone around me. They just all turned to me and they had ultimate confidence. They're like, good. I don't have to think. And now I just play. Angus told me everything what to do. One, there's good job. There's there's other good job security too, because I don't know if anyone else could step in and do that. And they were screwed without it, but everyone else wanted me around them so they could play better. So all these all-stars I played with, they were happier when I'm in there. They played with more confidence. So I helped them become better. So selfishly I'm in there to improve their game. Now I got to do what I got to do with my job. But now that became known and, and, you know, I'll give a hint where a lot of times they might not know that the club might not know that till, you know, when they say you don't realize what you have till it's gone. And I'll never forget in 2009, when I shattered my foot, and I was, you know, I was told I'd never run again, and my career was over, and I had to get my foot rebuilt. And then going into the 2010 season, uh, Wally said, look, you know, you're done playing, You're you're going to be a backup this year, we're going to move a new kid in, and you'll retire at the end of the year. And I'm like, no, I'm going to make it back. And he said, no, it's time to move on. You're you're old. Your foot is completely broken. You can't run very well. But uh, I made it back as a backup. There was some injuries and I had to come back in. And I started the rest of the season and I played 2011. I was an All-Canadian. We won the Great Cup in 2012. I was an All-Star again. And, you know, I I came back. But at the end of that that year, when Wally brought me in and they wanted to re-sign me to a contract again, he told me, he says, look, Angus, it's hard to put my finger on it, but we are better when you're in there the team. And I knew, I knew all the little things I did Another other guys say, it, but you know, when you're able to have a lot of vagueness to what you're adding, it becomes dangerous for them to remove you because they're not exactly sure how to replace all that. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and that's a little insider tip, I guess, once you get to the pro level, when everyone's pretty good and you're sitting there going, look, I can't be six foot five. And they're working out all these guys that are, and I can't have these long arms and I can't, I can't run block this 300-pound nose guard like this guy, but if I can make people worried that changing me out is going to have a ripple effect, that they're not 100% sure how to fix it or what it, where it'll go, and as long as I can keep doing my job good enough, that's that's job security. That's selfishly motivated. And how do we do it? Spend every moment of my life going, how do I make everyone around me better? How do I bring more to this team? And so I, I would argue that. You know, some guys are good enough not to worry about that. They're just so good. They have their job until they're not good enough anymore. But when you are good enough or even better, but you come with the mindset, making everybody around you better. One, you'll, you'll, you'll play a longer career because as soon as you, if you once you play dress a little bit, they're still going to keep you because of everything else you bring. And it also, it also pushes back the X factor of, uh, well, but this guy's, we got a better talent walking in. And they're like, yeah, but like, is it going to do all these other things? What are the things? We're not 100% sure, but it's better when this person's here. And that's where, uh, you know, when great leaders, they get players what we call uh, discretionary effort. So a great leader, great coach is going to get more out of you than they have to beyond transactional. But a smart player will always give more than they have to because if you just do your job, then it becomes uh, it becomes very commoditized to replace your job. You know, if you just are, block, are good at blocking a nose guard and pass blocking this guy, That's very easy for them to commoditize that and find someone that can be better at doing your five, six, seven things. And if you go beyond that and from a mindset, go every day, I wanna make people, I wanna make players happier around me. I wanna give more confidence to my teammates. I wanna make everybody feel better around here on top of doing your job. You've given yourself a great buffer and made it very harder for them to replace because you've, how do I say this? You've uncommoditized your position. And that's great advice I could give to young players when they're looking at, you know, how do I separate myself? And yeah, constantly work on your technique. Sure, constantly work on all the things that everyone else works on. But look at it and going, how can I make everyone around me more confident? How can I make everyone around me, uh, uh, you know, better at what they're doing? And if you're able to do that consistently on a daily basis not only do the coaches start seeing it, but the players start seeing it. And then you become someone that they get scared to not have.
0: Yeah. It's, it's such a crazy way to think about that because many players are like, how can I do what's best for myself to ensure, you know, everyone else, you know, I'm pushing them down while I'm climbing to the top of the mountain. But when you put it in the inverse and you're like, okay, well, if everyone else is around me is better, then you're kind of, raising the stakes so that it then if when you become that glue, then they can't take out the glue because they don't want to know what the what the wall's going to look like if the glue's not there, right? So it's such a fascinating way to think about how being selfish can also be selfless at the same time. And yeah. for all the young players out there listening, like make sure, you know, take out your notepad and start writing it down because there's only so many people that are unbelievably amazing at pass blocking and run blocking that they can, they'll never be re- replaced, right? Every university team, uh, teammates, or people I've met who've played university or pro, their coach always walks into the office and says when they have a meeting and say, hey, you know, we're going to do whatever we can to replace you. So you better get better or you're going to be, you know, out on the street. So guys- Oh, you know what? It's,
1: it's funny you say that. I, we, would, uh, we would start every year with uh, uh, Wally, would, Wally would come in and tell us quite bluntly that, guys, just so we're very clear, my job is to replace you. Yep. Just so we know, every day. And, but what Coach Dan would remind us in the meeting after, and this was brilliant, he'd always say, Wally's right, our job every day is to replace you. And he's like, but we have two options. We can replace you tomorrow with a better version of yourself or with someone else, and that's on you. So it was that reminder that you have to keep upgrading who you are. And, 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 and we're going to replace, he's going to replace the yesterday me but it could be me with the better version. And so, and he said, look, tiebreaker wise, we don't want to replace the person, the, the body, but we got to upgrade and it could be you. You So as long as you keep upgrading, you get it. You Tie goes to us, right? The And that was always powerful because it sounds so, so, uh, so uh, cold before where it's thinking, uh, you know, every day they're looking for someone else to bring in. No, we're looking to upgrade. And it was, Dan was always saying, you know, you can replace with a better version of yourself or we can find someone else. And when I looked at it, you know, again, you spoke about players. What can you do to, to to climb yourself up the ladder? Well, I there was only so much I could do. I knew I was never going to be physically the highlight film lineman that some of these guys are. I, I was never, no matter what I did, could get to a place where I'm road grading 300 pound lineman down. I just I don't. I physically was never going to get there. So yes, every day get, try to get better with what I could, but to say. I got to get to that level to keep my job. It's never going to happen. I can become good. I'm always going to be good enough, but what else can I do? What else can I do? And the beautiful thing about looking for ways to improve the players around you is that doesn't take any talent. So that is available to anybody and, and, and it's limitless what you can do on a daily basis to improve the culture of your unit, of your club, uh, of your guy that plays right beside you, of of your backup. I mean, guys get, guys listen. It, it, there's no need to be worried about the young kid coming up. Mentor them. I mean, they're going to take a job one day anyways, or someone's going to take a job. One, like, drop that belief out that you're going to push everyone down. Mentor them. You know what's going to do? It's going to make you a better player because it's going to make you become a coach as, you, as you're playing, which is going to make you become a little more objective. You're trying to teach people things. It means you have to think it through. A lot of us, a lot of great athletes, never really think through everything they do. They just keep doing it. And now you're like, "Oh, we're going to help you," and they're going to say, "Why do you do it that way?" Now you, have, now you unpack it. You think it through. and It's going to improve your mind to think things through. I remember when I started doing my last couple of years, it made me think through why am I doing it like that. And then you, then you learn a lot about things by coaching it, and you become a help. And it's, it's, it's a. There's not nothing greater than than, than helping the people below you, instead of trying to push them away and be like you know, secretly keeping your job forever. That's, uh, it's not a fun way to do it either. I've seen people do it and have careers that way. You know, to me, that's not, uh, you haven't learned much and, and, and you're not a a valuable asset to anybody other than yourself. And that's not really cool.
0: No, for sure. And it's really tough because a lot of people will look at it. That's the first way they look at it is like, okay, well, how can I be selfish in a way that's going to ensure that I box out everybody? All right. And then, You get to the, you know, you get to the end of the road and you realize, you know, that you were only valuable to yourself and that you didn't make anybody else better because of your, you being there. And And here's the thing you want to do that.
1: Play an individual sport. Yeah. You know, I, and not that there's anything right or wrong with that, but if you don't care about anyone else by yourself, why are you playing a team sport? Yeah. Play tennis or play golf. Go sprint, you know, go, go wrestle. Like those, those are, those are, those are wonderful activities that are about you you only like, I, I always laugh. I, I always, you know, I, I didn't have, I'm not wired to be an individual sport guy. Like, I don't, I don't think I have the guts to be out there all by myself. And like, when I, I mean, I wrestled in high school stuff, but at a high level, I was wired to be a team guy. I wanted to be a part of a group. I wanted to be a piece. I wanted to bring my little piece and, and, and you know, but other people it's like, you know, it's all about me. Well then go to that world because there's a world out there and, and the spotlight's only on you. And it's the inverse where in a team sport, you have to walk in with the mindset that I am here to help a team win. When you look at an individual sport, it's, I have a team around me to help me win. And it, it, it's not right or wrong. It's just very different. So if that's how you're wired, go to that road where you, you, you surround yourself with everyone that's there to help you achieve it. And that's, it's all about you. And, and, and that's, you know, that's a, that's a challenging environment to be in. I, 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 I admire individual sport athletes like crazy because, there's nowhere to hide. There's no one to help you, uh, but you can't. You know, you walk in a team sport like that. You don't build relationships. You don't build friends. And and again, you lose the tiebreaker. If there's other people that can do your job now that are helping the team, you're gone. It's terrible. It's a terrible move to enjoy what you're doing, but also it's the worst uh, career protection move there is.
0: I always felt that in the position that I was in as a kicker, that it was really difficult because I always felt that it was. You know, you always want to think about it as a team, but when you're a kicker out there, like it's all you, you miss, like it's your damn fault, you know, you get it, you know, you better have, and it's almost like playing goalie in hockey. And so that's why I found it was so hard to, to really find that balancing act and really, you know, tell myself, Hey, you know, like I am making the team better and I am contributing because people would be very very fast to point fingers at you if you screwed up and if you didn't they'd give you high fives and dap you up but mainly when it was when the spotlight was was on you when it was important right so and and with with all all that's been said you know now looking at the way in which life goes after football because a lot there was a lot of this energy i felt pent up inside myself that i'm sure you've seen across many guys and even donovan alexander talked about Guys let this anger fester and this mindset this, it take him over, right? If you watch the last dance, who actually really wants to be like what Michael Jordan did? I wouldn't. It's, it's insane. Like you actually have to be psycho. You have to be clinically psychotic in order for you to maintain that level of making everything a game, taking everything super personally and being a super elite savage to no degree. So when football ends, you know, the, the lights go on and the, curtain, the curtain's drawn, and now you're not killing each you know you're not killing each other anymore. You're not blowing guys up across the line of scrimmage. Now you're just a person too. And many people I know struggle with that. And they're like, "What the hell am I supposed to do now?" I, 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 you know. And and Nick Lewis on a previous episode, he said something that I really found profound. If what people remember if you remember before most at the end of my life is just being a football player, I failed. I failed because I didn't do anything else to contribute in any sort of way besides the one thing that I did playing football. So to transition to our next kind of topic what really brought you into the world of public speaking and when did you really start to kind of corral all these thoughts and experiences that you had and want to transfer them to others whether it be through writing or whether it be through ted talks what where was that real like click in your brain to make you go down that road uh
1: it wasn't one night I sat down and said, uh, "This is what I'm going to do." I think the speaking happened organically over over my playing days. You know, you'd start doing school talks through the through through the organization and whatnot, and then you you find something that you enjoy. And I enjoyed it, and I and I realized that I was bringing value, and I knew that only because I kept getting asked back, and I, you know, people would respond afterwards. I'm like, "Wow, that actually matters what I said." They're like, "Oh yeah, so okay, well, I kind of liked it, so let's keep doing it." And then you you, know, you just kind of stumble down that road. Uh, I will say about transition and I wrote an article on this and maybe I'll send it to you and you can post it to your listeners. Cause I, I think it's pretty powerful. And my, my big phrase that I kind of live by is um, what you are is not, what you do is not who you are, how you do it is. And then, and to me, it's, it's removing the identity trap for people where, you know, so many people get caught up in I'm a professional football player. It's like, no, that's what you do. That, 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 that's a job. It's not who you are. And we wrap ourselves up in this whole horrible word today worth brand. You know, it's my brand. It's my brand or my image or, or whatever it may be. And now maybe you're getting a lot of followers online and, and making money because of it. So you, you consume yourself that this is who I am. I'm a baller. I'm a footballer. I'm a football player. I'm a, I, I am. It's like, no, you're not. You know, uh, you are Jonathan or, An- or Angus or Timothy or, you know, you, you're, you might be a, f- a father or a son or brother. Football is a, is a sport that you play and do. Okay, it's not who you are, because the second you anchor that to, to you and make it who you are, when, when it's taken from you, what, where does it leave you? And I see them. When they are a football player and then football says bye, they're like, well, now who am I? And there's a whole hole of nothing. And you see these psychological drops, the anger and the frustration, because now they can't be a football player. Well, you shouldn't have been a football player in the first place. It's something that you're doing. And, and my big message has always been, what you do is not who you are. It's how you do it. And because to, one is not transferable, one is. And as long as it's transferable, it can never be taken from you. And I see the same problem in, in the real world with business owners. They become their company. And, and I, you realize how why they would. They build their company from scratch. And it's who they are. And they make it in this multi-million-dollar brand. Right? And their whole life is wrapped around whatever their company name is, whether it's a name or not. But that's them. Bleed it 24 hours a day and then they sell it for a bazillion dollars and then they go in this funk, they have more money than they could ever dream of, and they're lost because they don't know who they are because they were their company. I'm like, that was mistake number one. You have to stay objectively separate from who you are as a human being and what you do, and what you need to focus on and who you really are is how you go about doing things. Because to me, when I looked at football and I saw because I saw my older brothers, uh make it for a couple games and then fail. And they went through depressions. And I remember look, looking, going, this is crazy. Why do you feel worse about yourself? It's just football. And I was a kid then. I'm like, how can that shift your emotional state so much? It's just what you did. Now you're not doing it. You're the same person to me. You're my older brother. But to them, they're not the same person. Like, you're the exact same person. It, 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 what's the, what's the, I don't get this. And and I saw it every day, though. They'd get, people would get lost in it. And, and this is how, what's where their confidence comes from and their image and their whole personality. And then it's gone. Then there's nothing. So I learned pretty early on in football when I was playing and I was lucky again, I have a family. So, you know, we win the Grey Cup in front of 50,000 people and media and going crazy. Next day, I'm at my family dinner. I'm just their younger brother. They're just making fun of me, right? Like I'm the same person I was. So there's constant grounding, constant grounding, constant grounding that proud of me, but like doesn't change you. You are who you are and we're proud of what you did, but let's, let's not get crazy now. And there was a constant reminder that they care about me and love me and I have people who love me because of who I am. Yeah, they're happy to watch you play football. It's great. I want stuff, but that's not changing my value as a human being. And and, and a lot of people don't have that reminder from whatever background they come from. So their value is in all the people that love them and care of them, and and they're making money because of of sport. And when it's gone, we we know the stories, right? So my big message to young athletes is, is always the same, is make sure you put your value in how you go about what you do, because how you go about doing things, when you finish playing football... You just keep doing that into your next business or or your marriage or whatever you want to do. How you do it is who you are. And that's not dependent on getting cut or making a team. That's just getting up every day and being someone that's looking to make people better, looking to bring your best, looking to help the ones around you, looking to celebrate victories and help people through losses, whatever that is. And and, and constantly being the person that's looking to make things better because you're around. And maybe that's football today. We're trying to win the game, and tomorrow maybe it's um, helping out with a, your buddy's startup, or you're part of it, or maybe it's your relationship. And that's who you are. And, and if you can consistently bring that to everything, that can never be taken from you. And the best thing is, you never nothing gets lost as a memory. So when you finish playing football, everything everything I learned was how I did it. And you just take it to the next thing, and you get you keep getting better. And and so you know, walk away from football is like okay, time to do the next thing. I have great memories, great not, but there's no void because. I didn't leave me there, me is here. That's I used football as an outlet to keep improving myself through act, actions and activities and learning and growing. And Coach Dan was a big part of that, like showing me how to get better. And today it was about blocking, tomorrow it's about building a business. It doesn't matter, I mean, it's, I'm just me. And now it's time to do something different. And I feel bad for the people that get caught in that trap, and and you know the longer you do it without seeing it, the deeper you get into that world of this is who I am, and this bubble grows, and then when it pops, it's 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 some of them it's pretty sad and it's scary because they got to rebuild themselves. And I'm sitting there going, you shouldn't change because you're doing something different today. You should how you do it, and those are conscious actions. And that's why I feel bad too about for players that were super gifted as play as young players. And so coaches were lazy on never coaching them, that goes as far as their talent goes. Because when that's done, um, and they get cut, they haven't learned what it takes to improve themselves. They just were, were able to get by until they could squeeze the athleticism out of them. And you and I both know when that's gone, it doesn't transfer anyways. A 4440 forty doesn't transfer to the real world. Bench pressing five hundred pounds, nobody cares. And so you're really stuck. And I and I blame coaches that would let guys not learn how to learn because they were talented, because you hurt them as people. And, and at a young age, if you just let them do whatever they want because they're athletic and they go all the way to the top because of that, then they have, then, then you have wasted their time because you haven't prepared them to handle anything beyond uh, you know, squeaking out whatever you've been gifted with to make a few bucks off until you can't. And that's
0: sad. It's very sad. And honestly, the... I love, I love the way that you phrase that quote, right? It's not about what you do. It's about how you do it because it, it makes, it brings me back to this, this concept that I learned as I was going through football and, and, you know, seeing people post motivational things or stuff from, you know, on social media, that's pretty positive. And, you know, I played for I never played for any teams multiple years, except for the Vancouver Island Raiders. So in my career, I was always switching teams and I was never planting roots with any organization, not even high school. Not when I was in, in BC first time, second time, you know, so I had a really big variety of people that I was the, you know, I played with and, you know, I wouldn't say that I was super memorable or that I was some, you know, legend to anybody that I played with not even the one organization I spent two years with, because, you know, you're just a kicker. Who the hell are you? right and it really kept me grounded in being humble and really caring about who I was as a person because as time went on i realized you know hey there's going to be guys that are better than me there's going to be guys that can hit from 50 plus easy there's going to be guys that you know are going to make the team and i'm not and eventually when you know i was so focused and sucked on playing football and then by the time that i was at you know at Bison Spring Camp and i had a you know an, an, an unfortunate ending to my career as most people do because it's never usually never their choice and I, 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 um, I was trying for the Manitoba Bisons because at this point I had left junior and I couldn't play anymore because it was too old and university was not a guarantee shoe in So I tried to, I remember sitting there and I I'd watched the movie uncle drew before, you know, this is in December after the season was over. And I was, and I was sitting there to myself saying, you know, there's this one quote that just stabbed me in the soul. So the main character is like, I loved, you know, I love the game, but it never loved me back. And I was just so shocked and had like an existential crisis with sports because I was listening to it. I was like, that's so true. Like it doesn't love, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't love me, but it doesn't love anybody. and doesn't care about anybody. Right. And you not even for Peyton Manning, you know, Peyton Manning still in neck surgery, still had all these things. He still ate shit in his last year, like, and did poorly. So it really, really, really doesn't love anybody. And that's such a powerful thing to understand is because, you know, for the guys that, to play pro football it's like well then why me like if it doesn't love me then why do i get get to keep playing so that's you have to really internally reflect and the thing that i realized over that journey from that december till bison spring camp when i got cut was being scared that if i didn't make it that i was just going to feel lost like what do i do now and this is it's referring to exactly what you're talking about and i saw it happen with lots of guys when i played junior the year after I, i left university of calgary I played junior against guys who were my former teammates and they were like, man, like this organization sucks that I'm with now and blah, blah, blah. And and they just just felt so upset and it's a hard transition for many players. And the thing that I realized out of all of this was it's more important who you are as a person and what your character is like than it is what you did in football. I played, you know, high school football with guys that are now stars in university, you know, and some of the guys are great and the other guys are not good people. And let me tell you this, from the experiences I've had with, you know, being around university teams and talking to certain coaches is that I've heard many coaches say, right? Like this guy, I don't like who is as a person, but I can't really, you know, my hands are tied in terms of winning because, you know, we have to win and put the best product on the field. So th- there there's certain guys and obviously no, no team is perfect that are going to get away with playing, you know, and doing whatever they want, because as long as they're X good, then they're just going to be put in and they can be a bad person. They can be a bad teammate, but obviously eventually it catches up to you. And right. And, and as time goes on, you know, I find it humbling when I, you know, speak to former CFL players or NFL players and they're like, you know, I don't want to be looked at like this, you know, million dollar commodity or some God or idol, right? Like I'm just a person too. And, you know, you win great cups, you do all these things, but at the end of the day, you're still, you know, a husband, a father, a brother, you know, how you do, how you go about this, how everything you do matters more. And that, it just, that point, it just keeps repeating itself because words can't be wrong truer in the, in the world of football. And it mm-hmm. reminds me of this quote by Maya Angelou. I'm sure you've heard of, right? People will forget what you said. Mm-hmm. They'll forget what you did, but they'll mm-hmm. never forget how you made them feel because that's mm-hmm. how you went about it. Your method yep. and how you, you did that, did whatever process you did is what gives them that emotion. Right. So like, so in terms of, you know, the guys that you interacted with in football and played with, what was the moment in your after your career that you realized this? Like everything's going to be okay. Was it? Was it at the time that you you stopped playing football, or, or or was there a bit of that transition period you had to go through yourself before you came to that realization?
1: Yeah, I think the the first the first, uh, first offseason, the first winter, the first Christmas, uh, I was recovering from double back surgery, and I knew it was over and so you're not, you're not debating, you know, whether I'm going to, you know, you knew, and I was 37. So, you know, there was, there was nothing else to do anyways. I was, I played long enough and my body told me you're done. And, and there was a bit of a moment where, uh, yeah, you question yourself a little bit, like not, not, not to the point that I'm nothing without football, but I think there's a bit of a, can I do anything else? I mean, my big problem was, I played so long and I wasn't someone that moonlighted during my career and built other careers. Cause I had to be all in or I wasn't going to make it. I wasn't good enough to do part-time pro football while I'm building a business. I just, I, I was full in, right. I was a full go the whole time. So there was a little confidence of, of not being sure. Uh, can I do anything? I don't know. What kind of skills do I have? And that's, and that's another big part. When I wrote the book and started doing my talks, because then you're like, well, I don't know. So let's go find out because what else am I going to do? I got a wife and we're going to have a family. Like, what are you gonna do? Sit here and wonder the rest of your life. So you go try. And then you start realizing, I think, uh, I think a lot of athletes that get worried when, when they don't know if they can do anything, you start realizing all the things that you've learned that you didn't realize. And, and you get in the real world and you start dealing with other people, your own age that are doing things. And, and, and you start hitting the commonalities of life, stress, pressure, critical thinking, fast decisions, action, you know, like, I did this every day. Like I had to make critical decisions in 15 seconds with 50,000 people screaming and watching you. And you got to make sure everyone's going to do right. And you're not always going to be right, but you got to do it with confidence. And then you got to figure it out in the huddle within 18 seconds, solve the problem, communicate with nine or 10 different people and engage with each of them and get them all to buy in with your plan. I'm like, if you can do this, you can do anything in any world, but people struggle months to come up with a decision after these these crazy meetings people sit in and no one even knows how to get to answers I'm, I'm like this is this is hard and you realize how many skills we'd learned and the real skill is do you, can you work with people can you problem solve can you hunker down and can you fight the fight while everyone else you know gets scared and walks away and doesn't want to deal with it and i remember we did some sales work and i'm sitting here going you know we go sit down with this i don't know Hundred million dollar company, and so I was like, "Aren't you terrified to see what they're worth?" I'm like, "What am I scared of?" He's a person sitting on this side of the table. Like, what, what, what's, what's the fear here? I would line up against a 300 pound guy, trying to rip my head off in front of everybody, and literally run over me, smash our quarterback, and then have to watch that every day while my quarterback is getting his knee replaced. What am I worried about in this? This is a conversation, and so you, you build these skills that you don't realize until so you hit the real world, and you're like. This is what people are scared of? They're scared of talking to people? This is crazy. And, and, and so, you know, then you're like, okay, well, everything now is just about learning the actual skill of what you want to do. Those fears are, are useless. Like, what, there's no, you know, I'm not scared of working hard. I'm not scared of committing. I'm not scared of pushing myself. I'm not scared of being coached. I'm not scared of, you know, people People get scared of, of, of critically hearing where they're having problems. Like, how about putting it, how about having everything you do filmed and watched in front of the rest of your teammate and broken up? That's my whole life. Talking about what I need to get better, this is so easy. And so you, you realize football prepares you properly, or not properly, but it prepares you well for a lot of things that most people struggle with their whole life, which is that uncomfortable conversation, that uh, that difficult review of where you're at, that, that uncomfortable truth of your reality. We do that every day in football. Every single day you're reviewing where you're actually at and what's not good enough, what needs to get better. And so that was just life to me. And so it's just like, what do you want to do out there? Okay, well, this is what needs to be done. This is where you're at. This is what, this is the work that you have to do every day. Okay. It's just different way. And and that's where it comes back to, you know, what you do isn't who you are, how you do it is. And if you spent your life in football, hoping your talent was good enough to get you by you're screwed. If you spent your life in football, realizing that every day is about finding ways to get better and keep filling that gap of of where you want to become, where you want to get to and where you're at you can do anything because it's the same process and if you learn how to do that then it's just picking what you want to do next and, and and making sure that it doesn't become you you are the one that's doing those activities every day how you go about doing it and 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 yeah it took me a lot I had a little bit of a question myself till I dove into the real world I'm like what's there to be scared of well, there's nothing to be scared of there's just choices and I think the the the, yeah. the hardest part for me was uh i had a strength coach tell me this one time and it's very true that uh in 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 the sports world uh you know when you look at exercise selection you're managing compromises you want to do everything but you can only do so much because you have time in the real world in in the fitness world you manage options you can do everything so now your choice is what you got to choose. Like when you're playing football, you know, it's, 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 you're managing compromises. We can only do so much. So, so you got to do a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Now you're in the real world. It's like, well, what do you want? And that was hard for me because my whole football life was easy. Here, here's your year booked off season, in season, pre or preseason, in season, post-season surgery, rehab, rebuild. I told, I told my wife, the hardest part about not playing football was, may's just may saturday's just saturday like what do you want to do today like i can do anything before it was there was no every year was like clock and you just you just went through it it was all mapped out and and and, you know come fall it was getting ready for playoff time now fall is just fall like what do you want to do so uh, i had to learn how to manage myself and that's a skill that that players usually don't have to they just go here's your year bring it every day we'll get better now it's like here's your life do whatever you want whoa (laughs) that that was harder that, that was a hard transition. It's like, do whatever you want to do. Okay. You know, there, then you don't have a coach and that's harder. It's like, you got to make your own playbook. You got to make your own schedule. Uh, that was the hardest learning curve for me. Not, not 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 coming to the conclusion that I can't do anything. It's, okay, what do I want to do? And, and, and have some discipline in mapping it out because there's no coach making sure that I'm doing the work.
0: Yeah. And that's such a, a great point you bring up is because um, one of my friends who, and I feel like this, this has to be a trend amongst offensive linemen. Cause they, they're the wise dads of the team. It seems like is that he was ta- talking to me about, you know, what it felt like to be done playing football and that, you know, as a lineman, you know, your, your, your knees busted and your shoulder, you need shoulder surgery and your elbows hurt and every, like you're hurt all the time. Like you're never, there's really, been, there's always, a, there's always the difference between being hurt and injured, but as mm. a lineman, like you're always hurt. Like you're yeah. never a hundred percent it's, never. it's impossible. Like something's banged up. And if it's not like, you're not doing your job right. Or you're not, you're not playing. Anything. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and the one thing he talked about that I referenced in another episode was, you know, he's like playing football was almost like being on a hamster wheel. Like, yeah. May is May, you know, April's, you know, April's mini camp. And then as a rookie, and then May is this, and then June is this. And then July, we go crazy. And then September, we're winding down November's playoffs. December's this rehab. It's all in a schedule. It's so easy because you go work out or when I was at Calgary it'd be like, okay, this is the workout we're doing today. Oh, this is how you do it. Okay. I'm just going to go do it now rather than, mm-hmm. okay, you got a blank slate. You can do whatever you want. And people are like, well, isn't someone going to come tell me what to do? And then when you don't have someone there to tell you what to do, sometimes people kind of like shut down. and are like, well, I'm usually having someone to tell me to do this and that and the other. And other people are like, I don't want to be told what to do. I'm going to go take a handle on what I want to do. And obviously there's different people that happen within football. But before, I guess this will, this parlays into the final question I actually did want to ask before we wrap up today is, what is the goal that you have for your life in terms of now that you've been done football for a while? And how do you try to, Relay that message, or the the important thing from what your goal is, into others.
1: Okay, that's a that's a big question. It's it's quite simple, really. As I said, I'm not overly uh, interested in making sure I get some form of tangible external goal done. Like I don't have uh, you know a business that I'm going to build or a certain book. My my goal is very simple now is I have two young boys one just turned five and one is two and mine is to everyday model model what it means to become the best version of yourself and not that I have the answers and but that becomes my every single day chores to make sure that uh, when they come of age when they go out and face the world on their own they're ready they're ready to have the confidence and understanding of what it takes to go out there and and slay the dragons of everyday life and not and not not know what to do or not think they can do anything or or have false confidence so they think they can do everything but they really have no idea what to do and they get blasted down and you know it's it's to it's to prepare them to become great people and prepare them to have the confidence in themselves that they can go out and fight i i speak all the time on, I think there's three fundamental things all humans need, whether you're five years old or 50 years old. And, and that is to know that you belong. You need to know you belong and people need to know you belong or you're lost. And I don't mean belong like kid. And the problem in today's sports is here. Everyone gets a medal because you showed up. That doesn't mean you belong. I mean, you need to know that you bring value. You're bringing something that matters, right? It's not just like, well, everyone gets a t-shirt that shows I belong. No, you need to know that you actually are important. And to me, that means you're bringing something to the table that that is important. What? And it doesn't matter what. All right. You need to know someone believes in you. That isn't your mom. Okay. So you know, that's where Coach Dan came in. Like somebody, somebody. Oh, everyone needs somebody that doesn't have to believe in them to say, yeah, "I believe in you." I think those are the most powerful things you can tell and you can say to anyone in the whole world. I believe in you. I think it's the most powerful thing you can tell to anybody, whether you're a coach or a parent or just a coworker. Hey. Right? I believe in you. Some people have never heard that from anybody. And finally, you need to know that you can. And that's what Coach Dan taught me. He put me in difficult situations, taught me how to do it, made me or got me to apply the energy. I'm like, I never thought I could do that. Yeah. Once you learn that, there's nothing that you'll be scared of because you understand it's just another obstacle. And I want my children to realize that the world needs them, that I always believe in them and someone else will too. But I mean, it starts with, I'll always believe in them. And I need them to enter the world knowing that they can can what whatever you can now it takes this and they're gonna know but you can you don't let the world dictate what what's possible you can and if i do those things uh i, I think i think i'll have succeeded as as a as a person because i'm a parent now and that's that supersedes any other goal that i would have for myself is to uh do my best to prepare them to to be their best
0: and I honestly don't know if I could have put it any better way myself, because that's such a, like you mentioned, it's a transferable thing that can always exist across whatever goal you have, right? It's not, it's not about the destination. It's about the journey. Like it's such a cliche thing that people say, but that's basically another way to say, you know, how you're doing it, the journey, that's how you're doing it. How are you raising, you know, how are you going to raise children to be you know, great men is because I'm going to have the goal of figuring out what it is to do that, that I need to do to model the best version of myself and then ha- help them with that. It's not, okay, you need to make, you know, you need to make this amount of money by this age and you need to get this job and you need to do, because that's such an ass backwards way of thinking, because then you're putting their value into these boxes that are tangible and that can fade away and that cannot exist. The Like you, I saw something on social media today that said, you know, the person that needs to love you the most is you, because you know, you're in it for the, you're always going to be there with yourself. No matter when you die, you are always going to have your back. And if you don't, no one else is going to, right. But then having that person that says, I believe in you, that is the next step. And then being able to understand, Hey, I can do this. It's a perfect formula. Honestly, those three things, like it's, you know, I, I wish that we could just, you know, have a, like TED Talk series through Winnipeg, or you know, have more and more talks like this, and have more people that are on board with this kind of stuff. Because if someone doesn't say it, like there's no guarantee anyone else will. And honestly, it's it's been an absolute extreme pleasure having you on today, Angus. I I really couldn't you know ask for more. Honestly, uh, I knew from you know reading your book and from having the first conversation and all the things you've done with the coaches clinic and with the talks you've have the talks you've had about you know the importance of football, like it all brings tons of value and it honestly helps guys in football know that they belong and, and girls who play football too. So Angus, thanks again so much for being on today's episode. It was thank
1: amazing. you. No, it's been an honor. Thanks for reaching out. And it's great to see how well you're doing. Proud of you.
0: Well, everyone, thank you again for listening to today's episode with Angus Reed, international public speaker, former BC lion and test speaker. Here we go. Here we go. Tonight. Easy, easy. The kill! Kill! Ling! Moves to the right. It goes directly to Clement. Clement reverses it.
1: Nick Foles! And it's a touchdown by Nick Foles! Let's go! Let's go! Everything today! Let's go, Peter. Catch him and throw him! Let's go!
0: Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Huddle Up. Make sure to follow on social media, at Huddle Up Podcast on Instagram, and on YouTube at Huddle Up with Matias Bueno. Let's make sure to execute this week and I'll see you next time.